politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, our liberty, and our property on this fine Wednesday, November 2nd. And that is the anniversary of the original fight taken to the Goliath by the David of the time. Believe it or not, November 2nd was the date of the first naval operation in American history. 1777 USS Ranger set sail from Portsmouth, New Hampshire, led by Captain John Paul Jones, regarded as the father of the American Navy. Um, he the, He's most famous for a couple years later when he started raiding the British territory. So we, we think of the revolution fought on our soil, but he was the first to take the fight to the British Navy itself. The fearsome British Navy in America had nothing at the time where he one time said, I have not begun to fight when uh, the British asked him to surrender. And indeed, he began to fight and they had to surrender to him. That's kind of where we are now. We have the opportunity to set sail like like uh, John Paul Jones did and be that father of a new Navy, of something new. It's an exciting time to be alive. We are preparing for this revolution. And like I keep saying, the revolution is not the date of, and certainly not the horse race analysis a couple days before. We'll we'll find out what happens. No no point speculating. You know, I'll be on Steve's show and I was on with Glenn and you know, they asked me questions. I'll say what I think is gonna happen, but ultimately I'd rather interpret what did happen when we have hard data. But ultimately what's important is the day after. What are the leadership fights we have? What are the rules fights? What are the legislative fights? State, federal, leverage points, budget bills. How do we actually connect right away? How do we prevent this from going the way of every other Republican victory where the same dirtbag Republicans win? We let them go. We celebrate and we go home. And then they continue doing the same things. And and over time, it actually gets worse because the left thinks of new worse things that Republicans inevitably, even if they didn't agree with it from the get-go, they will go along with it, regardless of whether they officially control you know, a certain governorship or legislative body. That is what we need to prepare for. It's the day after. So I want to talk today about you know, some of the things we need to be doing, the way to prepare. Obviously, the imminence of the issue of people dying from the vaccines and the technology, how it needs to be stopped immediately. We need to harness the power of the mandate on that issue in particular. We're going to have Richard Hirschman coming up later on today to discuss the latest he's seeing. He's an embalmer in Alabama, what he's seeing in dead bodies, which is just shocking. It is the biggest pro-life issue you could imagine. We cannot let this go. So we'll talk about the latest on the COVID genocide front. And and folks, just remember, just remember, we cannot be satisfied with a mere electoral victory and making fun out of the Democrat reactions to that loss in the ensuing 24 hours. Okay, that's not enough. What are we going to do with it? So that's where we come into play. 
First, one thing you can do is take care of your own finances. Stop putting your money in the stock market casino. It's been down like a quarter of its value this year. The Nasdaq's even worse. Uh, gold and silver have always been a hedge against times like today where inflation is out of control. I recommend Birch Gold, Birch Gold of all the companies because they actually have been around forever. They have uh, thousands of a of five-star ratings, A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, satisfied customers. What they do in particular, if you text Daniel to 989898, is they send out a free info kit on protecting your savings with gold through a retirement account. So typically, you put your 401k, your IRA, into Vanguard, into Fidelity, into BlackRock, right? Do you really want to do that? Um, instead, put it into something of value. They help convert it into precious metals. So you have your retirement account sitting in that. Again, text Daniel to 989898 to find out more. Okay, folks. So, you know, my governor here in Maryland, Lockdown Larry Hogan, just got COVID again. Just got COVID again. And he said, fortunately, I'm up on my boosters. Like, what? What did you just say? So... I'm just telling you, as absurd as that sounds, he is of the mindset that most Republicans have. So I, we're going to be celebrating this whole business. Oh, my gosh. This is great. All these Republicans win. I could do R versus D horse race analysis from now until tomorrow. But the question is, who are these R's? And I'm just telling you, most of them are like that. Some won't be quite as obnoxious as Lockdown Larry especially if they're in a red state, but they're certainly not going to fight for us unless we make them. With that, I want to give a, a certain perspective on what we need to be doing now. So first, it's just important to note, and, and my colleague Steve Davis has been saying this on Twitter, now is the time we are the place, we are the people. There's no other time. You look across the world, Bolsonaro just got chucked by the WEF, so we don't have another sane leader in the Western Hemisphere. Um, everywhere you turn, there's no liberty left. There's no hope. Uh, officially, Israel had an election last night where officially the right won, but the right in Israel is to the left of where the left was three minutes ago. They're, they're pushing uh, COVID fascism. They're pushing... Um, they're the original founder of Pfizer, uh, COVID fascism. They're pushing global warming, all this stuff. I mean, every other government, no other country has as much of a history tradition. And as much as I always complain about the lack of focus, organized infrastructure, grading on a curve, we certainly have a lot more than any other country does. We got to do it. If we don't stand up, who will? If not us, whom? If not now, when? Literally, Reagan's uh, admonishment has never rang truer, and there's never been more of a frantic need to start this immediately. And I want to present this through the prism of, last week I had a conversation with Robert Cahaley of Trafalgar. It was meant to be all a horse race show, not an ideological show, but it, it, somehow it came up in the conversation. I mentioned that I, you know, I'm, I'm against voting for Oz, even in the general election. He was like, well, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And, and I, I want to explain a couple of things here. And let's start with Oz in Pennsylvania. Everyone's focused on Oz. Oz has instantaneously become a big hero on the right. Everyone loves Oz now. Why do people love Oz on the right? Simply because 
as always, the left is so offensive. It's so disgusting what they did, putting Fetterman up there knowing that he had a stroke and is unfit to, to serve in office. So by default, it made Oz look like a hero. And he'll probably win. But let me ask you something. Has Oz changed his views on a single issue and come in our direction? I don't think so. Nor will he if we don't make him. That's the biggest lesson I could teach you at this point. It will not happen on its own. Just because Fetterman is horrible doesn't make them better. And in fact, that's how the Overton window keeps shifting because the more insane the Democrats get, the more Republicans can become more insane to the left of where the Democrats were a few years ago and still maintain some superficial distance. But I want you, I want to focus on two things. I want to first talk about this notion of it's always better to vote Republican in a general election and why that's not always true. And then I want to discuss, even if you don't agree with the first thing I say, there's a middle ground between saying, look, if there's a rhino who wins the primary, I don't care, I'm just sitting it out. Even if you intellectually support that, and in some cases I do, versus throwing yourself at the guy's feet, treating him as a hero, saying, you're awesome, thank you for defeating him, and go home, and not holding him on a short leash. And I want to describe a couple ways that we can and should be doing that. But first, in terms of just, it's always, like, I understand this guy's a dirtbag, but there's never a scenario where in the same race, it can't be worth it on one of a level to vote for the Republican over the Democrat if you have the choice. Let me explain why I think all of you would agree with me that at some point it doesn't work that way. And I'll explain it like this. How many of you believe that if Liz Cheney would have won a primary that you would go out and vote for in a general election? Now, inevitably, a lot of people would because they're so brainwashed into, oh, you got to always vote Republican, and I hate her, but it's better than the Democrat. But I think a lot of you in this audience, and I think a lot of people even not in this audience, would agree that that's a bridge too far. I think a lot of people would recognize there's a concept of that you have to look at politics dynamically, not just statically, not just as a math, but as an art. And Liz Cheney is not just one more vote. Um, Liz Cheney is such a force multiplier of negative energy for the other side as a Trojan horse on your side that it's actually worse than having the Democrat, which would just be one more leftist vote on the left side. Here is a force multiplying leftist conduit into your tent. Okay, I think that's pretty easy to understand. That there, you do reach a point where it's not just that they kind of quietly, you know, vote liberal because they're scared. Maybe they have a district that's kind of left leaning. They want to hold it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about someone that is that subversive. Mitt Romney literally impeached Trump, tried to defeat Mike Lee, um, his his sitting partner in the Senate. There, that is negative efficacy. I personally believe that applies to Oz, but I just want at least people to understand that you could reach that level. That Oz, at the end of the day, is not a backdoor or backbencher Susan Collins. 
just a quiet rhino representing a blue state. He has star power. He's going to be a leader. He's instantaneously going to be elevated, and he already is as a big leader. He is going to be a conduit for left-wing ideas for the Republicans to support the smart way of doing COVID fascism, pharma in particular we're very worried about, universal vaccination, global warming, transgenderism. He is going to be a negative. I mean, this guy promised to vote for the bill banning traditional marriage, banning states from ever defining marriage as a marriage. He, he made sure to, he could have just kept quiet. He said, hey, if I'd be in the Senate right now, I'd be doing that. That has not changed just because Fetterman is a vegetable. Oz has not changed. I want you to recognize that. I want to elaborate on this point just first. One more message today from a sponsor, very important. A lot of you know me as Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. I switched to startmail because I'm done with spy mail. Um, originally, I thought it was stupid. You're, you're, I, I need to pay for email when we have all these free email services. Uh, dude, it ain't free. Uh, they, they basically share your information. They spy on it, whether it's financial information, travel plans, in my case, political plans. They are watching it. Um, that's why I turned my back on spy mail, switched my email correspondence with you guys to startmail.com. Startmail is an easy-to-use encrypted email provider, keeps my data safe. No one can read, scan it, uh, or sell it. And and when, when I delete the email, it's gone forever. You have that confidence. They're not based in the U.S., which is actually a good thing. Uh, they're governed by the most stringent uh, privacy regulations. And also, Startmail lets me generate an unlimited disposable number of aliases like disposable email addresses so therefore you, you know I never have to give out my real email when 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 you uh when you need to give all these emails to sign up for anything any product or whatever i don't trust big tech neither should you sign up today with start mail um and get 50 percent off your first year okay so that way you're not, you're not even paying that much for freedom and privacy go to startmail.com slash conservative that's startmail.com slash conservative so Folks, okay, with Oz, here's the deal. This guy is going to be a conduit for everything we hate. Everything we hate. That's why I still to this day support voting against him. And it's clear Republicans anyway would have 51 seats, the majority without him at this point. Steve Dace thinks they'll win 56 seats. I think it'll be more like 54. But either way, you don't need his seat. Not that I think there's even a purpose to have them having 51 seats anyway. But whatevs. Okay, that's a whole other story. I have to convince you on that. But my point is, I still stand behind that. But even if you don't, it's a moot point. You know, a buddy of mine wanted me to come on his radio show in Pennsylvania. Big show there. And I said, you know what? No one's going to want to hear what I have to say now. Have me on after the election. It's not worth me coming on before. And I, I said, I'll come on later. But I, you guys, I'll give you the message. Right now, Oz is a hero even among the more conservative-leaning part of, more populist part of the movement. The day after, people need to look Oz in the eye and say, all right, we voted for you. All right, you won. Great. Hold him accountable immediately on very specific issues, and particularly the ones that we know up front he's bad on. In other words, Oz, you're this big hero. You are the guy that is going to come in, the cavalry coming in to save us. 
You need to spearhead a letter with the other freshmen and say, Mitch McConnell, you must oppose the Republicans signing off on cloture on an omnibus bill in the lame duck session. Because you're going to underwrite, undercut our leverage. I want to be able to write a conservative budget. I want to be able to vote for a conservative budget, uh, pass a CR, put it until next year. Hold them accountable. Every talk radio show host, every county and state Republican Party, uh, you know, influencer and chairman, get on his case. Reach out to him. Every conservative blogger and talk show host in the state, this is what you do. Oh, Daniel, no, no, I can't ruin his chances of winning. No, he already won. I'm talking about afterwards. Don't wait five years until he screwed us on 10 other issues to start building the case against him. Lay down the marker so that right away he's forced to convert or die. Either he comes our way or it's easier to mark him from day one and won't take, you know, we won't be in a scenario where we have Lindsey Graham still in office. This is the mistake we've done. There's a middle ground between like, oh my God, thank you for defeating veteran. You're awesome. Versus, look, I'll hold my nose and vote for you, but now it's game time. At least that much everyone should agree with me. Okay, so there's multiple different things you can do. You could run independent candidates in the general election where it's not, the, so, so it's no longer, oh, if I don't vote for the Republican, the Democrat's going to win, especially in states like Idaho, Wyoming, South Dakota. You could easily do things like that. In Idaho, if every conservative talk show host right now would get behind Ammon Bundy, as opposed to the utter, literally Republican in name only, um, Brad Chicken Little, the Democrat, no one even knows his name, uh, Ammon Bundy would win. Ammon Bundy is going to get a significant historic amount of support for an independent candidate for governor. It's going to be hard to win. But if everyone would have gotten behind him, he would have won. So you have your cake and eat it too. You defeated the rhino. You didn't even elect the Democrat. So this whole straw man of, oh, is it worth having the Democrat versus a subversive Republican? You don't even have to get involved in that. That's number one, as I've always mentioned. Number two, keep them on a tight leash after the election, but also before. You're really one of us? Make them take specific stances. People need to go up to Oz and say, Oz, I understand you're very... um, very supportive of Big Pharma. And you respect everything they do. But nobody could intellectually hold the position. Pfizer is coming out with another $33 billion in revenue this year from the shots. And like 17 or $19 billion, no, $22 billion from Paxlovid. Nobody could say that they are too poor to be subject to the same degree of liability that every other industry has. Dr. Oz, would you sign on to a bill at least subjecting them to at least partial liability, even if not as much as everyone else? Right away, get him on board. Dr. Oz, do you think Mitch McConnell should be majority leader? You see what I mean? Right away, don't let him kind of quietly do his thing and wait until he openly screws us. Call the shot immediately to force a reaction. And this holds true for all these guys. Like I've said before, the only good argument that that, that Republican loser talk mouths 
on conservative talk radio have over me is the argument that at least a Republican, you can get your foot in the door and potentially pressure and influence unlike a Democrat. But that all would only apply, and I agree with that, but that would only hold true if the party was full of people like me. But if it's full of the that Republican at all costs, it can't because they won't hold them accountable. <laughs> That's the joke. Okay, fine. You voted for Oz, and Oz won. Now what are you going to do about it? Um, Talk about the next soap opera. No. Hold them accountable. It's that simple. You need ironclad promises. That's a, another part of this middle ground, by the way, is like, okay, there's one thing that, you know, you're in the ballot booth and you vote for the rhino or you don't encourage people to vote against the rhino or just not vote. But then there's the little bit of um, money and certainly the energy and activism on our side. Who says that we have to elect, we have to put our activism and donations into the rhinos? So vote for them. I'm, again, sometimes I think you shouldn't. But even if you say vote for them, we have enough of our own candidates that we need to take care of. And in Pennsylvania, it's the perfect example. Most of the conservative energy has been behind Oz, not Mastriano. And that makes no freaking sense. Because Oz has all the money in the world. He has Karl Rove running ads for him and bashing Mastriano. So, so Oz should be ignored. Okay? Even if you, you're going to vote for him personally. But the activism, we have a limited amount of resources. It, it all must go towards not just the Republicans, but the ones that support our values. Okay, him, Carrie Lake, Blake Masters, J.D. Vance, um, I guess in, in you know, um, Shabaka in uh, Alaska over Lisa Murkowski, whatever. You know, you go through the different races, the ones that are worth electing, um, Jensen in, in Minnesota, if you like Tudor Dixon in Michigan, okay, you know, that's there, Ron, make sure Ron John gets reelected, um, okay, Bulldog might have some potential in New Hampshire, you know, ones that at least on paper, there, there, there's something there for us. That's what you can do. That's the middle ground. Hold them accountable. That's what I'm saying. There actually is a huge opportunity to Republicans winning big. The perception that the country has turned right and they've turned against this. So it gives us more clout and credibility to push, but push you must. And you must do that immediately. You know, I, I, I find it amazing. We got into this whole conversation with uh, Kahaley because he mentioned the Colorado race. And, you know, he's very bullish on all these blue states. Republicans are going to flip. But the one he's not on is the Senate race in Colorado because the Republican John Odea, he mentioned, he's like, I see in my polling, the conservatives don't want to support him because he's a rhino. He says, I'm not sure why. So some of you emailed me and said, I'll tell you why, because he's pro-gun control and pro-abortion. And a light bulb went off in my brain. I was like, aha, uh -huh. that's it. That's it. Though we do have red lines, but it's only on guns and abortion. And that's fine. But those red lines need to be expended towards issues that are 100 times more relevant to the survival of our lives and our civilization. Guns already we've maxed out. So you have a Republican that's not so into guns. What, 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 what are they going to do already? Abortion, the die is already cast. The blue states are going to do it. The red states aren't. 
Okay, that, that issue's over with. For the most part. You know, you always have in the margins things to fight over, but I'm just saying I don't want to hear about that anymore. We should have that same degree of red line on a pharma fascist, on a trendy supporting Republican, on a um open borders or like Chinese Indian visa Republican. On so many other, on, on, on Ukraine, I mean, oh my gosh, by now that's got to be a red line. He was lecturing, Zelensky was lecturing us that weapons is not enough. Lecture to Republicans. So it's not enough, the weapons. We need more, like, you know, domestic support. Unbelievable, that piece of garbage. Even Israel won't supply weapons. And he's saying weapons isn't enough from us, but Israel won't even supply weapons. And Israel's been a long, long-standing ally of Ukraine because they get it. They, they understand that there, there's no good outcome there, and it's all a scam. So we need to start creating those red lines that it is unacceptable to be within the party, and especially in the redder states, to hold these positions. And that means from the day after the original election, you start setting those red lines, creating that momentum, creating that pressure, boxing them in so that two years and four years and six years later, you don't get caught with this age old, well, Daniel, he got renominated and this is the best we can do. Uh, what are you going to do? Lesser of two evils, you got to vote for the Republican. We got to stop that vicious cycle. And that's how you do it. Red lines. What are you going to do? You know, I have, a, I have a whole idea I'm working on, um, and th th this is something that, that's very easy for people to understand. Just simply, um, no lame duck session. Pass the CR and close up shop. Because it's not just the budget bill. They're going to pass massive immigration increases. They're going to pass, um, oh man, they're going to they're gonna pass, again, banning traditional marriage. The Democrats are going to clear the decks. Well, Daniel, what could Republicans do? They're not in control yet. If Democrats want to you know, become suicide bombers on their way out, there's nothing to do. Not true. Not true. They have 50 Senate seats. You know, so, so I mean, you could even afford to lose Collins, Murkowski, Romney, and a few others. And still, if McConnell, l l let me make it clear. There are some wayward rhinos. But if McConnell would hold the line and whip against these things, none of them should pass. And if McConnell would say, imagine being on the other side, this time tomorrow, this time next week, Wednesday morning, not 100%, but presumably that there's a red wave, historical victories, uh, House, Senate, Governor, State Legislature, up and down the ballot, Republicans would have so much leverage for McCarthy and McConnell to hold a joint press conference and say, look, you are voted out. We're not doing transformational legislation. Do a CR. Go home. We convene in January. You have no right to vote on things after losing the election. It would resonate with the public. Ultimately, whether they give in to the pressure or they just so don't care anymore, that is the decision of the Democrats because they do control the floor. But what I'm telling you is even if they would ultimately balk at that and still have a lame duck session, Republicans could not cooperate and just refuse to supply the votes for any cloture. And they could shut it down. And they would never have this much leverage to do so coming off of this election. But nobody is thinking about this, which bothers me. Why am I the only one? And then, of course, 
to transition to the second half of the show here, there's the big issue, the 800-pound gorilla in the room. The, the biggest pro-life issue we could never imagine. People dying left and right. Babies dying at record numbers. Stillbirths, fertility, birth rates down, death rates up. Just yesterday, I'm sure you, you saw, um, and I, I don't like dancing on people's graves, but they did this to our people in a disgusting way, claiming they only died because they didn't get the shots of COVID, when in fact COVID was made more deadly by the shots and they blocked the treatment. Julie Powell, this author of Julie and Julia, dead of sudden cardiac arrest 49, at 49 years old, just days after shaming people for not getting boosters. Um, you know, Obviously, you had the Bengals offensive lineman or, or offense strategist, uh, 38 years old, dead. I mean, every, every single day. Every single day. And yet this issue doesn't even register with 90% of Republicans. I want to be very clear. All these Republicans that you're looking to be heroes and amazing, and especially in these like blue state heroes, oh, we could win in New York and we could win in Washington and we could win back all the like, you know, used to be swing states. I'm just telling you, <laughs> it's, it sounds exciting. I'm not going to dump on it, but just know most of them, they wouldn't touch this with a 10 foot pole. And at best, they're like, okay, we shouldn't mandate it. They have no idea what is coming down the pipeline. The the um, Bansell, uh, the Moderna CEO, was out mouthing off how he literally said everything is mRNA, everything they're working on now, all the technology. So not just vaccines. This needs to be shut down. This is such a big problem. They're literally going to poison the entire supply of therapeutics and drugs and anything that we use. It's not just vaccines even. This need, we need to get to the bottom of this. Um, this is from the UK Telegraph. And, and, and we're going to get our, you know, our uh, embalmer on the show, Hirschman, in a couple of minutes. Crisis as excess deaths soar to levels higher than during COVID pandemic. Excess deaths in England and Wales are currently running higher than the main pandemic years of 2020-2021. UK had, had a, you know, it was less than America, but pretty close. Nice share of deaths. Okay, Delta was very deadly because the vaccine actually caused that. Um, and, and for this to outpace that, throughout October, there have been an average of 1,564 extra deaths per week compared with a weekly average of just 315 in 2020 and 1322 in 2021. Latest figures from ONS showed that the week ending October 21st were 1,714 excess deaths in England and Wales, of which only 469 were due to COVID, just 27%. And again, most of those were incidental. And if they really did die it's of COVID at this stage, it's because they got the shots. Um, by the way, I don't know if you've seen, in addition to RSV, we have like a record flu season now. Not record, but the high, they say the highest in 13 years. It started six weeks early. Where do you think all this is coming from, the immune suppression? So it's not just that deaths, like... The, the, the long-term sickness. So we're going to have excess deaths for years to come that you won't even be able to trace back. But these are traceable. Since May, there have been 24,440 deaths where the primary cause was another condition. Kind of this undefined. This is the UK Telegraph. I did some math here. Six months worth... 24,440 deaths. 
and I want to put it into terms of America's population that you can understand. So I multiplied that by how much the U.S. population is greater than U.K. It's something like 4.9, whatever, and change. I got the exact amount. If you extrapolate that, that would be the equivalent of 120,185 excess unexplained deaths in the U.S. over the last six months. Now, I think we all agree, and we're going to hear our update from, from Hirschman with the body you see seeing, that in general, as much as we're hearing about sudden deaths, the deaths have gone down because in general, um, the vaccine take-up, meaning the number of new people getting shots the last six months, has slowed to a trickle compared to the previous two six-month tranches where you had the main vaccination and even a couple months before that. So to have the equivalent of 120,000 in the latter six months, it's very easy to see how you could probably get to roughly 400,000 vaccine deaths since January or you know, December, whatever, 2020, 2021, over the last, uh, whatever, 22 months or so. So that's just, again, another visualization of the data that I think coalesces around this rough number we've been giving, this estimate, maybe 350, 400,000 or so likely vaccine deaths in the U.S. so far. And and again, these are short-term, but how much are going to be long-term and that's that's really um, what we're going to find out. But let's not forget. Let's not forget where we are here. We are in big, big trouble. This is the UK Daily Mail. U.S. is suffering worst flu outbreak in 13 years. With nearly 1 million cases, 7,000 hospitalizations, it arrived six weeks early. Why? And what I'm telling you is, it's it, not only are we going to suffer, but they're going to use it as like a global warming thing to prove their thing. We have RSV, we have flu, we're going to have other stuff, I promise you of that. And then they'll come in with their new stuff. And Republicans just want to walk away with it from it as if this issue never happened. It's still going on. Everyone's debating, you know, that article from the Atlantic about amnesty. But, but even that debate is underselling it because that's only if it already is done with and you're saying, oh, she granted amnesty. They're still doing it. They're accelerating it. Where is the forward-looking thinking on the federal funding, federal legislation, and more importantly, at a state level, to deal with all the aspects, both the investigatory aspects and the legislative aspects of protecting the American people against pharma and the, gov- and the federal government's bioterror? So it's the biosecurity state, but also bioterrorism and fascism, the emergency powers, the liability, preventing all mandates in the future, making criminalizing it, having private causes of action against it, studying the nature of this technology and what it's done and the COVID deaths and the compensation and the studying treatment for it and the blocking of the treatment for it and protecting independent doctors, going after medical boards and state licensure boards. And pharmacies, I mean, all of this needs to be dealt with. You know I'm going to be there for you. Unfortunately, we can't count on others to be there for us. So that's where we are. One more story um, before we get to our guest 
from the UK expose, official figures published by the UK government reveal that triple vaccinated population have accounted for over nine in every 10 COVID-19 deaths in England over the past year. 91% since the beginning of 2022 have been have been triple vaxxed. And, and it's been 94% since April. So even a lot of Republicans, oh, it didn't stop transmission. But but that th- that's old news. That, that that's they're lowballing it because that's just okay. Don't don't mandate it. Didn't stop transmission. That that's the typical Republican dogma now. But the implication is all. Oh, but it but it does help, and you know maybe causes some side effects. But no, it's a death shot. It's a Holocaust, and it has negative efficacy not just on getting it, but on severe illness from it. Now, still, most people aren't getting severely ill from Omicron. But among those who do, it's the same reason why we have more RSV and flu that people land in the hospital floor for. COVID is now like a flu. Not like, you know, before where it was this severe hematological pulmonary disease for, for at least some people. But, again, when, when what they've, they've given people VADES, vaccine-acquired immune deficiency syndrome, so then, like, like, like someone with AIDS, you could die of the flu. This is insane. This is utterly insane. They have it all there, all that data. But let's um, cross-check, cross cross-reference cross this with what is being seen in dead bodies. So, folks, one of the most shocking revelations that demonstrated both the extent and magnitude, but also the possible cause of these sudden deaths did not come from a scientist, a doctor, even a data analyst. It came from an embalmer. Very interestingly, a couple months ago, a while back, we had on Richard Hirschman. He's a longtime embalmer and funeral director in Alabama. He deals with dead bodies, and it's obviously a profession that if you're not in it, you're really not familiar with what goes on. I mean, because most people don't even want to think about it. But he was seeing a side, a piece of this puzzle that others weren't. And he came on this show and some others and made an unbelievable statement saying that suddenly, you know, he's doing bodies for years and, um, you know, sees, you know, once in a while you see kind of conventional clotting. But all of a sudden, a massive percentage of the bodies beginning last year, coinciding with the take up of the vaccine, started seeing these fibrin-like, snake-looking, um, not even blood clots, worse than that, just, just as if your veins and arteries are full of these fibrin-like white substances that are, that, that, that are contiguous, sometimes a few feet long even. And, and that was true even with bodies that, that were only dead for, for hours and, and not for days. So you can't chalk it up to, to some sort of, uh, you know, process post postmortem process. And it was just, what in the world is that? And it really, it really did not look very good. So I figured let's have a little bit of an update with him. Where do we stand at the end of 2022, the second year of this, what are the trends? What are the discoveries? 
And how does that possibly shed light on some of the trends we're seeing both anecdotally and also in the data? So with us is Richard himself. Hey, Richard, thanks so much for joining us once again here at Blaze Media. Sure thing. I appreciate it, Daniel. And I appreciate you bringing this to life. So since we spoke last, would you say that this trend is generally holding that, you know, pretty much every time you do these, uh, um, you know, postmortem work that you do, you're seeing these funny looking blood clots? Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, it seems to be getting worse as far as, you know, where I'm at in our area, the numbers of deaths uh, that I'm embalming seem to be going down. But yep. however, the clotting issues are increasing. And just let me give you a sh- quick example. Back when we first talked, it was probably maybe 60% of the bodies I was embalming were showing signs of clotting. Now, prior to uh, 2021, we would see clotting in maybe, you know, 5, 10, maybe 15% of the bodies. Last quarter, uh, it was easier for me to calculate how many bodies were, uh, the, the number of bodies that were not clotted. And it was only 12%. So that means almost 85% of the bodies were clotted, which is like a total reversal than what it used to be in the years past. Wait, 85% are clotted. And when you say clotted, 85% are like with conventional, and then out of them, some of them have these Frankenstein clots? Right. So of the... um, so the way I kind of look at it is like, okay, so the ones that I mark as having clotting issues are usually ones that are suspected that is something looks abnormal. But even if we just take the 15% of the, at the high end, 15%, you can sit there and say, all right, well, 15% of those might've been clotted anyway. That still is leaving roughly 60% with unusual clotting this fibrous material that I'm talking about. Wait, wait, wait. I want to make it clear. You are saying that you've never really seen that degree of clotting or whatever you want to call those, those stringy things. You've never seen them. And then now it's like every other body. Just about, just about. And the ages of the people that are dying are getting younger. You know, I've embalmed children, babies in the past. That's, that's, that happens. It's always happened, but already this last month, I've embalmed um, three people under the age of under under 20 years old. So I want to get to the babies in a moment because you obviously you're a funeral director now. Mainly you do embalming now, but you speak to other funeral directors who are more active with the other parts of the service. So they connect with the families more at the front end and are aware more of the circumstances of death. So, so I want to get that. But. Right off the bat, just to clarify, so again, younger, these Frankenstein things are are even more common, which makes sense because almost any older person has gotten the shot, even in a red state, and among the younger people, it's a tremendous percentage. But overall, the the torrent of volume is has gone down, which makes sense because, especially in Alabama, very slow take up now, not many more additional people. You'll have kind of the long-term deaths but at least that short-term burst of all those people who die within a few days or weeks of the shot, there aren't that many people getting the shot. So that actually does make sense. Um, so what are you hearing about 
babies. To me, if you're in the funeral industry, I understand you're exposed to everything and it happens, but still babies dying is jarring. It's not, you know, especially nowadays, it's not like the old days, infant mortality is very low. Um, we, we see the data out of Scotland where they're talking about record uh, high uh, infant mortality now, uh, or at least for this generation. Uh, what are you hearing on that front? Well, um, it's, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because just last night I was speaking with a, a funeral director that uh, is a person that I was apprenticing at one time. And she was asking, you know, it seems like we're getting a lot of babies lately. Well, about uh, two weeks ago or so, I was speaking with another gentleman who uh, was on his way back from the hospital with the baby. And he said that when he went upstairs to get the paperwork and asked, you know, for the paperwork for the baby, uh, the nurse basically said, which one? He said, what do you mean, which one? She says, well, we got like four or five of them. And, you know, we're a kind of not a huge city, but that seems like an awful lot of numbers when you're like, which one? I mean, that means there's 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 definitely something going on there. And the deal with babies, especially stillborns or those that are that are, uh, you know, fetal demises where they're getting up there close to the end of term. A lot of times those babies are not embalmed. Sometimes there's very little we can do. Mm. to do that kind of work. So typically they're either um, cremated or they're simply wrapped, uh, taken care of as best they can. Sometimes they like to go ahead and put a little, you know, baby gown on them or something like that and simply put them in a casket and have a small graveside service for them. So if, you know, I won't always see those call mm. those kind of cases. So that's an important factor that, that you're and for people to know you're not you're not a medical examiner you're not you know you're not necessarily the end piece of the puzzle you potentially are because just a, you know a lot of people don't get embalmed they do a burial without embalming or increasingly a lot of people are opting for cremation i think as the society gets more secular and whatever that's certainly and the cost of it that is certainly happening so obviously you're going to have nothing to do with it so you wouldn't necessarily see the scope of the trend increase particularly with babies now there's another important observation i've seen you make that I'd like you to explain to our audience. So y- you could speak to what you physically see that no one else sees you know, when you put the fluids in the veins and arteries and see what comes out. But then, mm-hmm. you know, you do get kind of an indirect glimpse of circumstances and trends of deaths. And right. I want you to talk about a concern that you have with people who die of cancer. Right. Uh, The thing that uh, is concerning to me, and it's not just me, I've spoken with other morticians as well, and they're seeing it. And that is in the years in the years that I've been doing this now, I'm, I'm now into this, what, 21 years. Usually when we get somebody that dies of cancer, um, there's usually obvious signs, you know, as they're going through all of their treatments, you know, they've been sick for for a long, long time. And their body is uh, kind of taking a beating, so to speak. You know, usually they've lost their hair. Uh, Some of them have just become emaciated or, you know, lost so much weight. Sometimes you can see the tumors, uh, that kind of stuff. 
And here lately, it seems like a lot of times when I'm embalming a person, I, I come to find out that they had cancer, but I wouldn't have known it had I not been told that. Or it was somebody that had, a, he, he had been, here's an example. I had one recently, he'd been battling, he had had cancer for several years. Okay. Well, so somebody who's had cancer for several years, you, you normally would notice the decrease in health. They, they would look rough, but they look perfectly normal. So it, it makes me wonder, were, were they fighting cancer for a long time? Then something happened to make them go down so quickly that you wouldn't see all of those signs of uh, the toll of what cancer does to the body. So you're giving a very important piece of a puzzle. Again, in and of itself, it's just an observation, but in conjunction with everything that Dr. Ryan Cole has been saying, that the problem, aside from possibly being carcinogenic, the shots, more importantly, and uh, antagonize the p53 genes that are anti-tumor so it destroys your defenses so you have these situations like there was this auburn former quarterback i believe but certainly football player in your state and i'm forgetting the name and it struck me a couple months ago when when he died i read the story and it's like he never left the hospital from the time he was diagnosed meaning it was he was gone he was gone in like 2 weeks um, right. And it's almost like and, – and, and this is what the pathologists and certain oncologists will tell you now that there's this trend, and, and Dr. Cole has the pathophysiology to explain it, where it's almost like cancers are becoming almost like heart attacks, like sudden deaths. Like, whoa, how did that happen? It's usually a whole battle. I mean even the quick ones are somewhat True. protracted. So you're saying the signs that you're seeing on bodies – would be reflective of that reality. It, it would. And, you know, I don't want, because somebody will always come out there and try to say, oh, well, that happens. And yes, there have been times in the past that, you know, somebody, you know, that doesn't like to go to the doctor or whatever and ends up finding out they've got a, 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 a rapid growing cancer and they die, you know, shortly thereafter. I'm not saying that that never happens. However, here in the last year or so, it seems to be happening at a higher uh, frequency than it was in the past. Have you been able to get any other data points or anecdotal data when you find funny, suspicious circumstances that are anomalous to the trends and observations you've had over the years to try to inquire about them, or it's just kind of not your business, so you can't really find out much? Well, um, you know, I'm 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 not a hundred percent sure I quite understand what you're trying to say, but I can tell you one of the trends that I've been noticing is that the number of people that are under the age of sixty um, that have been dying are definitely increasing. Wow! It just it just is, and you know, luckily I haven't had to do a lot of little children or young people. Um, sometimes, you know, like with babies, you know, of course people are wondering if I'm finding the white fibrous clots in these little ones. The truth is usually I don't get the opportunity to embalm them because they're either cremated or buried without embalming. But even the ones that I do, their vessels are so small. Um, I don't know. I, I, I haven't noticed them. I haven't. 
but I have I have heard that a lot of times these uh, these young ones, especially the babies, uh, were from you know parents that uh, were vaccinated. So is there a direct correlation there? It sounds like it. Of course, I can't prove that. Yep. One other note that I'd like to to add is these autopsies. Okay understand that most people are not autopsied. So Ryan Cole and all of these other people that are out there, they're giving you actual true data. I get it. It's right. But they they don't have tissue samples from those that are not involved, I mean that are not autopsied. So the number of people that are being put in the ground that may have, you know, been affected by these things will will probably go unnoticed in my opinion. Yes. Yes, and 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 that's our biggest point. If it ain't the vaccine, we sure better find out what it is because this is a calamity. This is insane to ignore this and uh right. it it doesn't it doesn't quite make sense. Um I know last time we were talking about getting these things tested to study the science behind these uh samples that you have pulling out of the veins and arteries. Have you made any progress on that? Well, you know, I've, I've sent samples uh, to a number of different doctors and um, some pathologists, including Ryan Cole, and, and they're looking at them and they're basically saying they're, uh, they're full of all kinds of things. But one of the words they use is like an, some kind of an amyloid protein, mm-hmm. which is misfolded, which is maybe one of the reasons why these things might look different. I'm not sure. But uh, I, I do know that there are places trying to help people, and that is really, to me, one of the most important things is is finding help for people. And uh, and, and and there's a facility up in Tennessee, the Biologic Center that I was uh, had mentioned that is trying to help people. Now, you know, there's there's a lot of questions and a lot more research that's going to have to be done. But the nice thing to know is, is that uh, um, like Dr. Jernigan is one I sent samples to. He's from the biologic center. Interesting. So I don't At know much about him. But you're saying is, this Dr. Jernigan, Franklin, Tennessee biologics, you know, B I O L O G I X clinic. Um, I can't yeah. speak to him, but you're saying you've dealt with them and they treat injury to try to maybe get ahead of potential blood clotting yeah, that people might yeah. have. Yeah, they're, they're they're trying to they're trying to help help people. So he's he's kind of basically analyzed this stuff, and so he's now, you know, trying to work with it. Again, uh, the thing that's comforting to me is knowing that there are people like him, people like Ryan Cole, and and other doctors, you know, that uh, some want to remain anonymous, of course, but uh, at least at least there are places trying to help. Because that is, you know, that's more important than anything. So I want to zoom this out just before we sew up here. Again, you're kind of in the back room. Um, You are a certified um, funeral director, but your practice is mainly behind the scenes now. But obviously you speak to people in the industry. And I'm just curious if you – what you have to say, the Epic Times had this article a couple uh, weeks ago or maybe last Mm -hmm. week, uh, a funeral director in New Zealand – that actually seemed to try to ascertain from the families what the history was. And she said publicly to them, 95% of corpses had received COVID vaccination 
within two weeks of death. Are you familiar with that? Yep, I sure am. I uh, I I spoke on a uh, on a on a Zoom call uh, with that person, and along with John O'Looney. And see, the thing is, is those directors that are in the room with the family, and those that are willing to ask the questions and to gather a little bit more data, that's what they're finding, and that's what I'm hearing for those that are looking. You got to understand, a lot of people. Um, I believe sometimes they just don't really don't want to know. Um, For sure. Because, you know, a lot of these people, there's a lot of people that have received the vaccine. I'm pretty certain it's my gut feeling that the vaccine is the cause of a lot of this. It may not be the only cause, but it is definitely, uh, I believe, I believe it's definitely connected. And therefore, you know, for some people that have done this, do they want to know that truth? No. No, they want but, the cognitive dissonance, and I think that's that's why. But it also does jive with what you're saying, that I think we are starting to see long-term deaths, subclinical myocarditis, maybe, uh, you know, slow-forming microclots, things like that that could take a while. But I think everyone does agree that the bulk of the deaths, as, as uh, evidenced in VAERS reporting, are within that first few-week window. So, again, it makes sense. She's saying most of them recently had shots, so it makes sense that – the percentage of these blood clots you'll see will go up from the universe of bodies, but the volume of bodies should be less now than it was this time last year, just because there's fewer people currently getting the shots. And and again, you provide a very interesting piece of that puzzle. Um, I, I applaud you for speaking out because we need every single angle of forensic evidence we can get because this is a it's a it's an information warfare. So are you finding that other people within the kind of post-mortem industry are speaking out? Yes, and I'm very grateful that uh, several are now starting to come out. Um, I, it, it's, it's, it's glad uh, in, to my heart to know that, that, um, that there are people that are willing to, to, you know, kind of put their reputations on the line and come out and not, you know, just, just to kind of uh, reinforce what I've been saying. And it's true. You know, you talked about the uh, two-week thing where people die sometimes within two weeks after injection. And we noticed that back in uh, last year, early last year, we, we started noticing, you know, that people were dying. And then when you asked the question, they got the shots, you know, a few weeks ago or something like that. But my bigger concern is, is these white fibrous clots are on the rise. And the people that have had the shots have had them now for months ago. Some of them are over a year ago. And yet I'm finding these abnormal clots. So just because they didn't die within that two-week window doesn't mean that there might be something going on. Yes. Behind the scenes that they're not aware of. It's, and a, it's an emergency. Yeah, any one of these clots, you know, if it breaks free and and it blocks a vessel in your heart, you're going to have a heart attack. And if it clogs up a small vessel in your in your brain, you're going to have some kind of a stroke. I, look, so, we can't get to this quickly enough. This is the biggest pro-life issue that we need to yeah, get to absolutely. the bottom of the cause, the scope, and rectify it immediately. 
Um, Trialsandexecution.com for those behind it. Certainly suspension of all this uh, technology and and the the people behind it and the organizations and the companies behind it for the future um, and immediately get to studying um, the diagnostic strategies and treatment strategies of those who already got the shot. So we, you know, we try to staunch this. I mean, it, it is, it is ludicrous of me. All these Republicans on pro-life and pro-life, they don't want to touch this. It just makes no sense. This is by far the biggest pro-life issue of our time. We're out of time. Please keep us updated on what you're seeing. I think this is valuable information and God bless you for coming forward. God bless you too, Daniel. You're doing an awesome work. Take care. So again, that was Richard Hirschman, embalmer in Alabama. So for example, I don't understand why the Alabama legislature and Department of Health, Red State, wouldn't be interested in bringing him in, finding other funeral directors and embalmers within the state, and getting to the bottom of this. Every state needs to do a forensic data audit of their Medicare, Medicaid billing codes and trends, their death codes like John Bedouin did, for the death certificates, anyone who died within 30 days of getting the shot, match it against the immunization records, which unfortunately they all have, so, you know, with the surveillance. So he's may as well put it to some good use, not just spying on us. Um, and and this ne- this needs to be shut down. But you know, I'm not I'm not hearing that red wave, red wave. I'm not hearing that. Uh, I just wanted to add one quick point uh, before we sew up here. Um, and, and and I'm not judging anyone here. I'm just stating what I think is somewhat of a fact. Um, so you have to realize a tremendous amount of people get cremated nowadays. Um, obviously, in my religion, it's an anathema. Uh, we don't do that, nor, nor do we do embalming either. We don't do either, just you know, live burial, um, do it pretty quickly and without either of that. But my point is, uh, the thought just did cross my mind. Um, I'm assuming a lot of conservatives nowadays do do cremation, but I would still think that in terms of the divide, a much greater share of liberal type of people get cremated. Uh, I'm, I'm making that as a premise, but I think it's true. So the point is a lot of these younger people, if you're picture this, uh, you know, these like 35 year old Karens that yell at people and then they, you know, for not getting a shot and then they drop dead of the shot. Um, most of those, I don't think would be passing before the table of people like Richard Hirschman because, disproportionately those very types would get cremated in particular. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong about that, but that's just the thing. So I don't even think he's seeing a fraction of the scope of it. And and yet he's still saying, Oh my gosh, these clots are like more than half the cases now. And uh, you know, within that two week window and then younger people. And then these, again, the cancer people dying of cancer that look like they're young and haven't gone through much of a battle over time. That's extremely creepy. We need to get to the bottom of it. Again, November 9th is the date that matters more than November 8th. Send me your comments, questions, concerns to Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Follow me on Telegram at C19TruthBombs. I'm still not restored on Twitter for all the talk. We'll see what happens. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.